0: Hey, cool kids. Glad to see ya. I'm sure when you clicked on the episode that you noticed it was just one story. Well, it's it's one long story. I've got a big story for you today. But see, we recorded this episode in two parts. Katie and I did my story first, but by the time we got to Katie's story, she had gotten really sick. Poor girl is still down with whatever it is that she has. And the day that this comes out, October 14th, is her birthday. So let's give her some get well and happy birthday wishes. And hopefully she feels... Ready to go for next week because I know she misses you all. And with that, let's get on to the show. Come on into the smoke circle. High Tailing Through History. Okay, I'll stop. Hey, welcome to High Tailing Through History, a history podcast where two sisters like to get together, get high, and share stories from history's vault of the weird, wonderful. And lesser known. This month, we are celebrating all things spooky and a dash of mystery, a dash of otherworldly. And I am your older sister, Laurel.
1: Everybody's conglomerate older sister.
0: Everybody's older sister. Let me just tell you here's how things are going to go down tonight, you little shit. When mom and
1: dad are out of the house, we're going to have a party and you're not going to say anything about this party. Okay. That's what the podcast secretly is. I guess that makes me everybody's little sister. Katie, I don't think I would have ratted you out ever. No, but I was also a good kid that wouldn't have done
0: that in the first place. So
1: Yeah, there you we are the better child, that's for sure.
0: Katie, what are you relaxing with this evening?
1: Ooh, uh some hot cider that I threw some cinnamon sticks and some cloves in. Oh. Boiled it in and threw some shots of whiskey in, and that's uh doing me right.
0: That sounds like perfection, by the way.
1: All perfection, yeah.
0: <laughs> You've really themed your night here.
1: I have. I read something somewhere on the, probably on the Instagrams, which follows on Instagram. If you don't already, we interact daily. But I was following, it's something about a Midwestern, whatever. And it said, uh, if you see a Midwesterner in a sweatshirt and shorts and they're smiling, don't bother them. This is a spiritual time for us. I was like, it is. We love
0: fall. I mean, I think a lot of people love fall, but I think there's something a little bit different with the way Midwesterners love fall, maybe.
1: Oh, yeah. I think
0: it's just because we have a really solid season change and weather yeah, we change. Do. And so it's just feels extra cozy.
1: What uh, What are you drinking and or otherwise partaking of this evening?
0: Uh, thank you for asking, Katie. I would love to tell you. I have a couple of things going on. I have a little bit of Pinot Grigio, which I'm not a white wine drinker, but we had a bottle and I was like, well, it has to be drank. Okay, I thought
1: that was odd. I was like, mm-hmm. "Huh."
0: Uh, but the the main star of the relaxation and entertainment tonight is the weed. So I have another little mix. I think a few weeks back, I had a mix of, what was it, East Coast sour diesel and headband. And I tried to like make an East Coast headband. I, I don't know. Yeah. I tried that's really what you call hard. It. But this is the great huta and headband. So I'm just deciding to call this the great headband. It's nice. It's social. It's a social little mix. And I'm ready to tell some stories because, folks, my story tonight, huge.
1: Uh, I guess this is the part where, uh, we've all been dreading. I mean, waiting do do on...
0: Do-do-do. Bottle. Leaf. Grinder. Shoot. What is, that? is that
1: a leaf? It looks like it, doesn't it? It's a very curvy one. So I've got a uh, grinder here
0: to Katie's leaf. Buckle in, everybody. I've got a big story tonight. It is from contemporary history. And I think a lot of listeners might remember it based on our age ranges that we have on our analytics for our show. And they might've even had their own experience with it. Oh shit, okay. Tonight, everybody, I'm going to be talking about the satanic panic.
1: Oh.
0: So this topic is actually going to do last year, but then I ended up putting it in a drawer for another day. And then a few months back, Christian and I had been watching season four of Stranger Things, which in my opinion is the best season of Stranger Things so far.
1: Sorry, I haven't seen it yet. No spoilers.
0: Okay. That's all right. I will not be spoiling anything, but I will be talking about it very briefly, but not spoiling things. It's so nicely incorporated the satanic panic that I was like, oh, well, that's it. I'm doing it this year. And then last week I did the Hellfire Club. And then this week I'm doing the satanic panic. So that's my little homage to the TV show of the summer, Stranger Things.
1: Obviously, I need to catch up. Yeah, it's so good, Katie. You'll love it.
0: Katie, stranger things aside, are you familiar with the satanic panic? Have you ever heard of it before?
1: I have. My references to the subject matter is a couple of serial killings that were committed during that time. So when I think satanic panic, I think people being... This is just my lens on it. I feel like it's an excuse for people to not properly investigate and people who were guilty actually walked free because people were like oh my god it has to be the kids that sit and listen to metal which (laughs) newsflash would happen to be pretty much all my people i suppose you could call them the one that specifically comes to mind i want to say it's the devil's knot and they thought it was a bunch of boys but it was really they found like it's a really awful story so i'm not going to go into the details here where people do not show up for a murder podcast, so they don't need to hear all those nitty-gritties. And they found, like, DNA of one of the stepdads on, like, the rope that was on one of the boys. And I was like, this is some fucking bullshit. You straight up did not pay attention to obvious evidence. It had to be the people who dressed in black and listened to metal. Mm. So that's some bullshit. But, anywho, so that's what I think of when I think of satanic panic. I think of a lot of fingers being pointed and people treating metalheads like they all worship the devil.
0: That's really interesting that you mention all those things because uh, you're completely on the right path and you know what's up. Cool. For everybody else, if they maybe know vaguely or don't know anything at all about the satanic panic, it was a decades-long event that permeated everything, really, from the late 70s into mid-90s. And There's Honestly, there's some elements of it still going on today. We'll still see some hallmark things said or done or reactions to things that come out in pop culture that echo that same time period about 30 plus years ago.
1: I thought the satanic panic happened in the 80s.
0: That was the peak of it or what's considered mostly the peak of it is the decade of the 80s. It was a very long time, but things were going on through the 70s to start things, which we'll fully go into. And then it even went into the mid-90s.
1: I remember it being 80s, 90s. So you mean to tell me that the 80s were 30 years ago?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, at least. Hey, Katie, happy birthday, by the way. This is coming out on your birthday.
1: Oh, I was trying to avoid it, but, you know, there it is.
0: Happy birthday, Katie.
1: Oh, man.
0: Uh, Because there are so many big stories that are a part of this, that are full episodes or even full series for true crime shows. I'm just going to speak more broadly on it, but I do have some great sources to look into if there's something that you want to take a deeper dive into. So all those sources are going to be in the source material below in the show notes. But my favorite one I used heavily was a podcast series from the CBC in Canada. So Canadian broadcasting called satanic panic. That was really good. It was about one specific story up in Canada, but, um, all the same elements and all the other surrounding factors still play across the board in all other satanic panic cases. So here we go. Throw the, the sand on the fire. Ready
1: for it, dude.
0: It's February nineteen eighty nine. We're north of Chicago in the suburb of Winnetka. I chose Winnetka because it just it sounded good. And for those of you who don't live in the Chicago area or are unfamiliar with some of the towns around here, Winnetka is nice. We're talking. That's where the Home Alone house is.
1: Oh, it's on the North Shore. North Shore, yeah. Oh shit! No, that's that's bougie. It kind of reminds me of like
0: those old money houses, you know, like those uh, older architecture. Again, like I said, the Home Alone house is a great example because that's where that's the neighborhood that it's located in, with other houses that are similarly big and beautiful like that. So you get your frozen newspaper outside because it's February nineteen eighty nine in Chicago. Your newspaper is the Chicago Tribune, and you sit down. To read it with your morning coffee, you flink it open. And you open it up and there's a headline that jumps out at you. Satanic cults growing in preserves by John Hussar. Preserves? Outside Chicago? Well, that's too close to home. And disturbed. You read on. So I'm actually, this is gonna be probably a little bit annoying, but this newspaper article was just chef's kiss of finds while I was doing research. And so I am actually gonna be reading. The article almost in full. I'm going to just take big chunks out of it because there's so many gems in here that we're going to be able to pick apart for our story tonight. Okay, so here we go. This is going to be an ugly little story about how some people use our forest preserve woods outside Chicago. It is not about goofy picnickers or drunken hijinks or the wanton, inexcusable slaughter of plants and wildlife by raving idiots. This is new and growing. The demented cults that use the woods to coldly sacrifice animals and It is feared, possibly even humans, in satanic rituals. According to law enforcement officers, this happens more than most of us can imagine, and the cops themselves are warning each other to be careful. If you're walking deep in the woods and you see anything like this, get back out and call for help, a veteran of cult investigation told the annual meeting of Illinois Conservation Police last week in Peoria. If you see animals hanging from trees, get out. If a person comes up to you and says he's seen something funny going on, get out and get some help. That could be a warning. That speaker, his name was Craig Tisdale, and he's an animal control officer from the winnetka Police Department. For the last year, he has specialized in investigating cult-based animal abuse cases for the Illinois Department of Agriculture's Bureau of Animal Welfare. Tisdale told of cult practices in some of the most remote corners of public woods, and not just in Cook County, but in every region of the state. He said the bloody rituals take place mainly on satanic holidays, but can occur at any time late at night. He fixed an icy look upon some 150 cops in the room. If you ever do walk into a ceremony, you'll never get your Model 66 out of your holster, he warned. You'll be dead. Tisdale showed investigative videos of satanic sites in the Chicago area. There's a broken angel tombstone marker along with several animal carcasses near an abandoned cemetery close to O'Hare, the airport. The most sensational find was a ceremonial grave site in the deep forest near southwestern Willow Springs last November. That one brought out police in full, for the initial signs were ominous. Along with ritualistically butchered deer and other animals, investigators found an inverted cross and a child's gym shoe near the shallow grave. Trees were splattered with what seemed like blood and painted with satanic symbols. Grottoes and the grave dripped with candle wax. That sounds like a straight-up horror movie, right? Yeah. Next paragraph. Fortunately, no human remains were found, and the blood, in air quotes here, turned out to be theatrical makeup. But the police believe that these sites hint of a violence to come. I'm going to skip forward a little bit, but this man, Craig Tisdale, goes on to say that these practices that they're finding have the goal of human sacrifice. They're convinced, although they cannot prove that, quote, babies and others have been used. We believe that some of these established groups breed babies for sacrifice. We suspect that runaways are enticed, then kidnapped and used. Jesus, And he says they're not from poor, lower class families or areas. They're usually the middle to upper class kids who are missing, kids who are comfortable from decent homes, sometimes religious homes. He says these are all kids who are just bored with the good life that are getting involved in cults. The article goes on to talk about mutilated animals that he's found, which I'll skip, especially since I've read so much of this already. But he finishes it with this bit here. He said that the Chicago Police Department and State Police Division of Criminal Investigation currently have detectives assigned to cults. But all they can tell you right now is to stay out of deep woods near cemeteries late at night when the fires are flickering, especially when the moon is full. Oh, my God. This is an actual article I found. So I'm, I'm researching satanic cults, and I decided to search out local stories and just see what people were writing about around here. Totally. And this article was one of the first things that popped up in the search, and it was perfection because I had already been like, oh, this is a common theme that happens in all these stories. This is a common theme, da, 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 da. And then I pull up this article, and it was like all the things.
1: It was literally everything you could have hoped for. Yes.
0: And that's what we're talking about tonight in terms of the language used, the fear, the panic, fake stories that seemed very real because someone in authority was telling them. Right. And the very real impact that it had on human lives. I mean, even the end of this article is like one of those two sentence ghost stories, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, stay out of the deep woods, near cemeteries late at night, the fires are flickering. No, before I really dig into that and dissect all this because it is such a big topic, it is really important not only to myself being the one relaying this information to you, or Smoke Circle, but the more research I did, the more I found out how important it is also, or more I realized, I should say, more I realized how important it is to the actual people affected by all of this, because there is a lot of real actual damage that was done. I found that a lot of people Especially the ones involved don't want to talk about this. They don't even want this brought up again and mentioned in society. It reopens wounds. There are people who are living their lives not sure what is actually true about their past. They've been lied to, manipulated. Maybe they did the manipulating and are ashamed. There's a lot of moving parts in this, and quite a bit of aftermath. I've I've come to find. And so, as much as we're having fun for Halloween talking about how the public got all freaked out about spooky stuff. I do also want to do my due diligence in pointing all that out ahead of time. So very much like the Salem Witch Trials, but it just feels a little more sensitive because it is contemporary. A lot of the people that were affected are about my age. Yeah. So.
1: Right in between
0: us, really. Yeah, about between us and then also a little bit older than me, I'd say. It went on for so long. So what, Laurel? Please tell me, please stop reading me articles. Please tell me what was a satanic panic. It was sometimes referred to as the ritual abuse scare or the daycare panic, but the satanic panic is the most commonly attributed name for this. And it permeated through a lot of pop culture, government PSAs, was really prevalent in rural or more religious or more conservative areas of the United States and Canada, particularly that. I don't think the cities had as much of an issue with this because they were around people that might be considered like alternative in terms of, you know, punk scene, rock scene. There's a lot of different people you're going to get in cities as opposed to the rural areas of the countries where there was a little bit more fear and much more of a sort of footloose (laughs) hold on their communities. Right. And just like I did with the stories. On past episodes in the history of the modern conspiracy theory, as well as the Lavender Scare, lots of layers, lots of layers that have a little bit of a kernel of truth in them. It allows people to keep going and keep believing a, a mythos. But then it's taken to such an extreme. And then the really unfortunate thing is again, that's that really real price of innocent people getting thrown into jail and andor having their lives ruined by slander. And then that little kernel of truth, the very real and dangerous part. Gets covered over because it's buried by bullshit, which is what you were saying about crimes that weren't investigated properly because people were like, well, must be devil stuff. And then it allows reasonable doubt and then someone walks free, that kind of thing. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. And then like people who like, I mean, just even in the one that immediately came to mind, people who were sexually violent with children walked free and that's not okay. Mm hmm. Anytime anyone brings up satanic panic, it's one of those things that I remember with a lot of, um, oh, this bullshit again, you know? Mm -hmm. It's definitely one that I think familiar with, yes, but I don't think I've overly done my research about it just because it's one of those things that does hit close to home on some of those topics.
0: Yeah. As I say, it sounds to me that I feel like I had a more direct impact with it, which we'll talk about then. We'll share some stories here. I feel like your connection, or at least what I'm hearing that you feel a connection because it's connected to your people who are getting persecuted with that.
1: Very much so. As we move into
0: the late 70s and early 80s, we have to look back on the last couple of decades and then just take inventory. There's a huge shift in American culture. There's a fight for civil rights, women's rights, a new wave of feminism that went along with that, sexual revolution, just to name a few things. In the 60s and 70s, cults, particularly violent ones, and ritualistic murder were first put on everyone's radar with the Manson family and their string of murders that they committed in 1969. I mean, holy shit, that freaked everyone out. Yeah. And then not to mention, about 10 years later, the Jonestown Massacre happens in 1978. So there's another mass killing of the entire cult in the Jonestown Massacre. That's the one with the Kool-Aid.
1: Oh, yes. I was sitting there. I was like, I don't know if I
0: know that one. Yes, the Kool Aid. Yes, yes. Awful, awful, awful. And so, within a a 10 year period of time, people are getting not only cults on their radars, but they're going, oh, these weird cults are also killing people. Like, what? This is something that's happening now. And then, in that same year in 1969, a man named Anton LaVey comes out with his book called The Satanic Bible. So, you nodded. People go, oh, yeah, Anton LaVey, Church of Satan. And the Satanic Bible was one of the key texts for the Church of Satan that he founded in 1966. So way to time that release there, Anton. (laughs) He's like, oh, this Manson family cult just murdered people tragically and horribly, and everyone's losing their minds over it. Yes, let me release my book on the Satanic Bible.
1: I personally think he did a lot of that on purpose. I think Anton was a man uh, who loved stirring the pot, number one, number two. I think he loved getting the most out of a situation, i.e. like money, oh, fame, yeah. book yeah. sales, all that. Like that's just who Anton was. Yeah, you nailed that, I think. And I got that vibe from him as well too because
0: uh, of something else I'm going to mention here in a second. He's He comes back up again. Of course he does. He he's always does. And I laugh just because simply the timing is just funny to me. So going into the 70s, we also saw the naming of Danger's that fascinates us to this day, and that is the serial killer. Yes. And the serial killer had come out as if it was some sort of new phenomenon, which it is not. And it's not a phenomenon. It's just bad wiring. So there's now a name for people who are committing these serial crimes in general, but serial murders. And a lot of them are really bizarre. I mean, you've got the son of Sam killer, David Berkowitz, saying that his neighbor's dog is... Telling him to kill us like a demon, trying to you know get him to kill people, and then the Zodiac Killer, the Alphabet Killer, both actually used ritualistic elements in their murders, and on top of that, were never caught. So that's scary. And then in our neck of the woods, we have John Wayne Gacy, who is yep. the friendly clown at the children's parties, and he's found out to be a horrific piece of shit. Anton Levay, because he is just on a roll with the timing of his books comes out with another book called Satanic Rituals in 1973, which is the same year the film adaptation of the book The Exorcist came out. And even though there's a lot of serious stuff in the story, I couldn't help but just have a little chuckle to myself when I had to write that down because I was like, yep. He's just like, you know what? This is when I'm going to release my book. Let everyone freak out about this other book and movie that are coming out. And then I'm going to bombshell Satanic Rituals in there. And speaking of books, Throughout the 70s, more books were emerging from conservative authors and Christian evangelicals warning the public on satanic worship. So you've got this rise in the spooky devil stuff, and then you've got people coming out being like, this is real. Don't buy into this occult because the devil's going to get you. Yep. And as far as music goes, as you mentioned, heavy rock, early metal music's coming onto the scene. We've got Kiss and Black Sabbath, and you know, Knights and Satan service, that whole thing, and Ozzy Osbourne. And that's the Prince of Darkness to you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. In 1974, we have Dungeons and Dragons, which was a collaborative fantasy role playing tabletop game that was released. It was also founded in this area. Yes. Uh huh. I read that somewhat recently. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, like Geneva. And being that it was based in the fantasy world, there's magic, there's monsters and wizards and just
1: general fantasy elements. Magic is the big one. Like magic is a big one. At least that's how it was said to me, like, especially with the Christian community, magic is inherently satanic, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: D&D is on the back burner at the moment. It won't fully get into the crosshairs of the satanic panic quite yet, but we're just going to throw that in the mix. To simmer away with everything else because it's going to reemerge later. The public's also starting to finally come to terms with the idea that abuse is far more likely to happen within the home, the family, or someone you know, which, because that is so horrible and really grabs our emotions, it often makes it harder to confront. It was much easier for the public to say, Stranger danger, look for the enemy outside the home, than it was to look within the family unit or even in the mirror. And did you know how they found out about child abuse inside the home?
1: No, I don't think I ever.
0: I vaguely heard of it before and it came back up again in this CBC podcast I was listening to, and it's really sad, but it's the X-ray machine. Over a span of years, kids were getting X-rayed for something else, you know, some you know broken wrist, they fell off the swing set or something. And the techs and the doctors would be finding other injuries broken ribs or breaks that weren't treated and healed correctly. Oh, shit. And I'm sure, you know, at the first case, each of these individuals, had because it happened across the United States and Canada. It wasn't just in one area, of course, because they're finding this popping up all over. So I'm sure that each of these texts, their first case of it was kind of like, ah, kids always getting hurt. But they were seeing it recurring and it was a persistent and common injuries that they were seeing across the country. And they started putting the pieces together and they came to the conclusion of children being hurt and abused physically and sexually in their own homes. Yeah. How horrible is that, right? And unfortunately, a very real thing. So already we have way too many ingredients in our shitstorm soup, but just wait. We are going to add some more in a moment. So we're just going to let that soup simmer medium low heat for a little bit. We're going to really let it bubble away, let it bubble, make a simmery, undercurrent to our culture. I'm just going to drop one more ingredient in. Bloop. 1980. Just the year. Just boom. Put 1980 in there. We're in the middle of a recession and it's post-women's rights. A lot of women were going into the workplace, either because they needed to, they wanted to, but women are leaving the house to go work. And a lot of the families at this time had young children. It just happened to be at a time when there were a lot of young children as women are going back into the workplace. And families needed to rely on childcare facilities for before and after school care or all day care for the younger children. In the government, conservatives and the religious right were ascending into leadership roles. And there was a strong desire to keep the family unit together, particularly this nuclear family, the two parents, in this case, a man and a woman living together with their children in one home. Women going into the workplace was seen by some with this belief system that it was a challenge to the family. It was like a shaking of the fist at the family unit.
1: God forbid we're just trying to pay the bills. Right, right. Or some women were like, hell yeah, I want to get to the career that
0: I wanted to have. Right. Get me the fuck out of this house. So y'all ready to light this powder keg up? Send me the match. Here is our match. It's a book called Michelle Remembers. It was written by a Canadian psychologist named Lawrence Padzer about one of his oh, former
1: yes. patients. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was no. just like, I knew what you were talking about. And in that moment, Katie remembered. <laughs> Katie remembered. You could just see it slap you across the face.
0: It's about the psychologist, former patient named Michelle, who later became his wife. So I actually have questions about that in and of itself and the healthy... Dynamics there. I feel like that could have played something, but that's purely my speculation. But it raises my eyebrow. I don't know about yours, but I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to speculate too much more than I already have. But in this book, Padzer writes about 14 months where Michelle was his patient and the hypnosis that she underwent with him, as well as all these recovered memories, air quotes, air quotes, that came out of these sessions. These stories were lurid. It was accounts of graphic violence and abuse to Michelle starting at the age of five by what Padzer believed was the Church of Satan. And just a little reminder, the Church of Satan, especially as we know it today, was founded by Anton LaVey in 1966. So when Michelle was five years old, it was back in the mid-50s. There is a little side story just to mention it, although I won't go into it, but Padzer just really leaned into his story and persistently said that this is true. It's the Church of Satan that did this to her. Is the Church of Satan to the point that Anton LaVey actually, I, I believe, brought a lawsuit against him for libel because he was like, no, it's not my Church of Satan. My Church of Satan is not doing this. You're making this up or you got your wires crossed, but that's not my group of people doing it.
1: Especially with the allegations that were made. Like mm-hmm. it's pretty bad. They're very bad. Yes. And as you mentioned that the claims were
0: next level horrifying. And really dramatic. I don't want to say dramatic as in like, oh, you're just being dramatic. But I mean, they're so big. And it just is basically every single thing you could think of all in one story, Mm -hmm. which just kind of fuels its emotional um, hook
1: to it. Yeah.
0: It's ritualistic animal sacrifice, mutilation, blood drinking, children locked in cages, terrible, terrible sex crimes of any description. And then here's the thing. In this book as well as the handful of copycat books that it spawned, any one or two of those things as horrible as they are individually are believable enough because again we've had the 70s where we've been hearing stories, well, late 60s into the 70s, hearing stories of ritualistic murder, crimes against animals, ritualistic animal, you know, the we've heard of these individual things unfortunately Happening in different cases. But now we've put it all together into one story. And that was a little bit harder for people to believe outright, especially when any physical evidence from repeated assaults over the years, broken bones, scars, necessary surgery for some of these things. I mean, there are some things in some of these stories where the damage would be so bad to a person's body, especially a child, that they would. Need to have a medical, you know what I mean? Like, there, there would be records a medical of things. procedure. Yeah. yeah. Trying to say it without saying it. And for Michelle's case, all this physical evidence wasn't found because um, it was claimed that it was healed by Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, and Archangel Michael working together to heal her scars and her bones. Now, whether anybody wants to believe that individually, okay. But you have this huge story. Of all these different elements, and then to be like, oh, well, there is no evidence on my body of it because archangels and Jesus fixed me.
1: What about all the other kids? Not that I'm necessarily always a logical thinker, but like, if there was one all powerful deity working to heal this child, why would you leave all the other kids left with that stuff and only fix one? That wouldn't make much sense to me. Then that's something that got
0: the skeptics raising their eyebrows because they're like, there's a lot of stuff in here. They were really quick to point out places where evidence wasn't provided, which was in most of the book, and especially point out the lack of physical evidence. And that none of the stories could be cooperated by anybody else. The parents couldn't say, Oh yeah, we went we had to take her to the hospital or she had these mysterious deep cuts or things mm-hmm. like that where nothing was cooperated. It was just what this psychologist was getting out of these hypnosis sessions or claiming at least to have gotten out of the hypnosis sessions. But regardless of what the skeptics said, the book flew off the shelves and there's our match, boom, right on top of our powder keg of anxieties that Americans and Canadians had been building up over the decades to this point. Well, over the last decade. In the, you know, quote unquote, real world here, you have the American president, Reagan, saying things like, sin is real in the world, evil's real. When you have the leader of a country like that, oh, he must know something I don't know. He's got access to top secret stuff. And if he's saying that there's like evil, scary things happening in the world, that must be true. Because at the same time, we also have missing children, the children on the milk cartons. You know, have you seen this child? Have you seen this person? And the TV alerts would be like, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your child is? That kind of thing. There's a lot of fear and anxiety about others. And now you have a book that comes out that lets parents look back outside the home for dangers as opposed to the inside.
1: So they're able to just reflect that back out again. They're like, see, I knew it. Right. We would never want to look in a mirror and fix problems. That would just be too easy for people in general.
0: And in, especially in smaller communities or more conservative or religious communities more rural areas everyone was very became very suspicious of each other it's like see i knew it there were satanic cults in our town ron in our neighborhood you know susan's boy listens to that rock music and he has his boys come over and play that dungeon master dragon game we can't let our little johnny go over there next thing you know he'll be sacrificing cats right it's neighbors it's even the people who care for your children when you're not around and as this panic is erupting social workers, psychologists, law enforcement, they don't have a way to deal with this. This isn't in the playbook. There are no trainings. There's no handbooks for this. And they're just, they're thrown into it as well. And they're using what they know and what skill sets that they have to deal with it. But unfortunately, Michelle remembers, despite its lack of evidence, was frequently cited and even used as said handbook for professionals. They're like, well, this page 53 here says this thing about that. And that must be it because that's what can happen in these satanic cults. So there's 1980. 1983, accusations against a daycare center called McMartin in Manhattan Beach, California blew up in the news. Police then sent a letter to about 200 families who were current or former customers and brought their children to McMartin asking for help in the investigation. This is what the letter said. The following procedure is obviously an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary. The police chief wrote describing alleged sex crimes. So he tells them what's been alleged. And then says, please question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime or has been a victim.
1: So in a police investigation, if you're sat down. They are listening for keywords that are things they did not release to the press. And that is more often than not when they are interviewing people, how they find people. This is the exact opposite of that, where you've introduced the evidence to them yeah. and now it's all there. So it's like, well, then did it even happen? If you're a
0: parent, dear listener, if you're a parent, could you imagine getting a letter like that? You would be scared out of your mind. You know, someone might have done something. So awful, unspeakable things to your child, your little baby, your, your emotions take over. You're going to go full mama bear pop papa bear mode, right? You want to get to the bottom of it naturally. You want to make sure your child's okay and whatever's happened, there's swift justice that is done. But this letter, however, is a prime example of what not to do. As you said, you've introduced the evidence and then you're like, parents, with your emotions now through the roof and you're terrified, now question your child and see if they have been witness to XYZ things that have happened. Thankfully, people didn't immediately go full-blown satanic cult with the investigation, but it was pursued because there was such hype that people certainly thought that something bigger or more elaborate was going on with the whole thing. And what happened in that, especially when you have professionals who either don't have forensic investigation questioning skills, as was the case for the therapists, or they have a very specific set of forensic investigation skills that don't work great for young children, you end up with young children, some as young as two, which blows my mind, questioned repeatedly, often for hours at a time. The questions becoming leading or speculative or feeding a certain narrative because it's already introducing these elements Mm -hmm. from this greater narrative that you have going on. Introducing it to children who are impressionable and they want to please the adult that they're talking to. And this was a big part of the podcast series that I listened to from the CBC. In 1992, they had nearly the exact same thing happen at a daycare center in Martinsville, Saskatchewan in Canada. And the stories that came out of that were awful. And it's not that the children were being liar McLiartons just to be nasty kids or anything like that. Not at all. It was this exact same thing where the questioning process brought out all kinds of weird stories. Because if one child was praised into saying, yes, that happened. Oh, good. Thank you so much for telling me that. What else happened? What else did they do? They did this, this, and this, right? Well, it's okay. You can tell me. You can tell me the secret. Your secret's safe with me. Mm-hmm. So they did this, this, and this. Oh, good! thank you so much. You are so brave for telling me that. So you're praising children into the, you know, your quote unquote, right answer. No. Then they're using that to feed to the other children. Well, Susie says that this, this, and this happened. And as poor and bad investigative work as this is, the professionals use to question children, and I don't want to defend it. It's also not that anyone
1: really knew how to deal with this either. Right. This was kind of the first time this was really like you said this is when like the idea of child abuse even in the home came up. So now they now have to evolve a whole new line of questioning and investigation.
0: Mhm. Yeah, it's like early stages. The series I listen to, they get it like a lot of different sides of it, which is really great. And they're interviewing a lot of the police officers who were there asking the questions. They'll say like the one woman that they speak to she was ex-Royal Canadian Mounted Police. She was just filling in in Martinsville just because they were short-staffed. And she's like, I'll come on for like a month or two. And then all this blew up while she's on duty. And she was saying things along the lines of like, there's still a certain protocol. you know." There, She's like, I sh- I felt like I should have spoke up more and said, no, you have to follow this line of questioning or or ask questions right. like this. So there's, there's still a protocol in place where people in a lot of ways should have known better. But again, it's that emotional piece where it's like, it's so scary. It's the children, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plus, I mean, I, I kept having the thought that if they truly believed this was what was going on, or let's say it was, which is awful, but let's say this was actually truly what was happening. Perhaps the children were so traumatized by what happened to them that they've suppressed it. They're scared to talk about it. And therefore they say, no, nothing happened to me, and they have to be coaxed into talking about what happened to them. Yeah, you know. So I kind of see like where the police would be like, "Are you sure that's what happened?" Or might question a few times because,
1: yeah, in their mind they're because thinking it's they're scared to talk about. Yeah. yeah, scary, uncomfortable. Victims of any kind of abuse often feel a lot of shame. Yeah. So, which is just uh, mental manipulation. Listen, it was never your fault. Right.
0: Never People ever are
1: just fucking terrible.:
0: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly all these different complex emotions and elements that we're talking about here. Down
1: in Manhattan Beach,
0: California, and several years earlier, this was the same tactic in their investigation as well. So in 1986, seven employees of the McMartin Daycare Center were charged with more than 100 counts of child molestation and conspiracy. Jesus. A week later, all charges were dropped against five of the employees, citing weak evidence, although all seven defendants have always maintained their innocence. Although I got in-depth research into the Martinsville case with the podcast, I didn't get it as specific with the Manhattan Beach case. They do share a lot of the same hallmark details of how it went down, how it was investigated. And I presume that it also shared the same, when it says weak evidence, it was in the sense that there was a lack of physical evidence on the children. Right. Based on the details of the alleged crimes in Martinsville, which really are like the worst things you could imagine. Well, you don't want to imagine, I should say, happening to a child. These are things, as I mentioned before, that would leave absolute and unequivocal damage on a person's body in some way. They'd be deep cuts, uh, bruising. Some of the stories were people covered in blood, urine, fecal matter, things that would- absolutely require surgery to attempt to repair damage that was done on a body. Um, That's about as nicely as I'm going to put that. Yeah. Nothing was found. A child said that another child's nipple was cut off. No child had a nipple cut off.
1: It would be pretty obvious unless they had three
0: nipples. There's just a lack of evidence. And the parents had never said when I went to pick up my child, they were covered in blood or they smelled like pee or they had poop on them or They were terrified. You know, everyone was happy, clean when they picked him up, when they dropped him off. No one was scared to go there. A lot of kids talked about how they loved going to daycare. It was so much fun. That's the type of incongruencies that I'm pointing out here. Right. According to one of the New York Times articles I used for source material, It's Time to Revisit the Satanic Panic by Alan Juhas, which came out on March 31st, 2021. Quote, Each authority, the police, prosecutors, psychologists, the media, put pressure on the others to act, said Anna Merlin, the author of a book on the history of conspiracy theories. It was a very fervid environment, she said. Very credible-seeming people were saying, occult ritual abuse is all around you. We've seen it, and the signs are visible if you know how to look for it. And so then you're kind of like this weird... A cult detective. You're trying to find and spot like little signs on people to be like, oh, you're you're definitely involved in this sort of stuff. And you're scared of everything and everyone. Yeah. Or more easily swayed. I shouldn't say you're constantly in panic of every single person you meet. But so then you have these people who are now taking up the mantle of satanic cult expert or ritual crimes expert, who, like our boy Craig Tisdale in the article at the top of the story we were just regular professionals who just had to learn stuff from things <laughs> like Michelle remembers, which weren't credible to begin with. And then they're right. teaching the seminars to other professionals. You have police, lawyers, social workers, therapists, FBI agents gathering whatever it is that they learned or whatever experience they've had or heard from other professionals in their field or in their town, which ends up being a lot like a game of telephone.
1: Right, as always, what it starts out as is not what it ends up as. Mm -hmm. Again, it's kind of that whole thing with the story I did last week, where it takes on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Remember how they're like, "Well, it went from one dug up grave to all of them were," and it was like, "I mean, that's a huge jump." Let's think about this for a second. Ugh. Yeah. Fucking aliens. (laughs) That
0: story was wild.
1: Yeah, but again, it's the same thing though that. That's what it does. Mm -hmm. It just, it changes. It takes on a life of its own. And then it always is embellished or always something changes on it or, yeah. Look at the 420 story. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's another one. And all these professionals are sitting in these seminars teaching each other about occult symbols and practices. They would have pamphlets made for their communities that they worked in to help spot signs of ritual cults and satanic practices. And... Guess what else fanned the flames of the scare throughout the 80s? The media.
1: Surprise. Oh, I should have guessed that.
0: (laughs) They're good for all of that, aren't they? In 1985, 2020 ran a story on satanic worship. And it's 2020, right? If 2020 does a story on it, you better be paying attention. Now, to their credit, they did say before the segment that they were skeptical in reporting it and that the story had general skepticism around it, but that there was something going on and therefore they had the duty to report on it. And from there, you have Oprah, you have Sally Jesse Raphael and Geraldo Rivera all reporting on it, stoking the fires about this, the daytime talk shows that are having these experts on and then talking to like Ozzy Osbourne was interviewed in in one of these sort of things. So that's all happening throughout the 80s too. And beyond horrible accusations and charges brought against people in daycare centers. Corporations were having to defend themselves against occult fears. So it's not just people in the towns. We have these big corporations, more larger reaching, you know, organizations that are having to defend themselves in court against people being all freaked out that they're associated with the occult and devil worship and that they're using their profits to fund, you know, secret societies that kill I, I don't know. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. So Procter and Gamble be, being one of the biggest ones, they had suits brought for two decades against them. The last lawsuit, just for context regarding this whole debacle, was as recent as 2007. Yep. The suits that were brought against them, the plaintiffs claimed that their logo, which they have since changed, by the way, because people just wouldn't give it up, was a cult symbolism. The logo was a bearded man in the moon. It was facing 13 stars. The logo had gone back to 1882, and the stars were the 13 colonies. And they're like, oh, it's it's Americana. But no, nope, they're like, you know what? Fine, we're just going to change our logo. So Procter & Gamble had all kinds of stuff like that. Starbucks with the mermaid and the stars. People got mad about that. Um, Harry Potter. I mean, I know that one. You probably know. And then Dungeons & Dragons again. Really, I think it was just any fantasy-based game. I vaguely remember the video game Gauntlet being talked about by parents I, that I knew, like parents of my friends that were talked about it as occult stuff.
1: Do you remember the video game Gauntlet? It an old NES game. I think that one was a bit early for me. Let me...
0: Yeah. They redid it. I think they redid it as an arcade game. I was even kind of young for it because I sucked at it so bad.
1: Dude, it was made in
0: 1985.
1: Sounds about right. It actually looks really interesting. I just remember it being freaking hard. It looks hard. I'm looking at it and I'm like, I bet you that's a fucking hard-ass game. There was like a He-Man guy. Yeah, it's got like a barbarian guy, a barbarian lady. It's got a wizard, an elf. Yeah, very fantasy.
0: All that fantasy stuff got in the crosshairs of the scare because it promoted magic and spell casting. More famously, though, when some players of D&D took their lives... There were two separate cases but the parents of the kids and or those who were close to them claimed that the game had warped their brains and it made him suicidal. And so there were big suits and big outcry about that cuz they're like it's killing our kids. When really the sad truth is, you know, mental illness and depression are real and being right. a teenager is fucking hard. You know, there's other other factors besides D&D, which also by the way, D&D was found that there's no link between you know, any sort of violence or fantasy no, role of play. Not. Even the government was like, Oh, I don't know about this one. But people were like, Nope, magic, and I don't like it. D is about as harmless as it gets. It's pretty nerdtastic.
1: It is a little bit, that's where I was
0: going with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. I was gonna say, I've played D D. i have played I know people that play DD. Let me tell you, none of them are interested in starting a, a ritual cult based on Satan and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm emotionally forever bound to one such D&D nerd myself. and Yeah, they're pretty, uh, what would you say? Uh, non-violent mm-hmm. would be the word I would use. Yeah. Sometimes he just comes home is like telling me all the stories about this. I'm like, you're such a nerd. He's like, hey, back off, Lord of the Rings. I'm like, don't you dare <laughs> bring Tolkien into this. Meanwhile, Tolkien can write about fantasy and all that shit. He was a Catholic and nobody brought lord of the rings into this once so excusez-moi, c.s lewis also another famous christian wrote a whole fantasy series like we're just not using logic at this point no well no no one really is i'm starting to get more like heated as this is going on
0: (laughs) you know in the D D front that's why i really wanted to bring this story up was because it was highlighted so well in season four of stranger things when the satanic panic hit hawkins indiana And the D&D Hellfire Club, led by everyone's favorite game master, Eddie Munson, was believed to have brought evil to the town. And in fact, actually, when you meet Eddie Munson in the first episode, he's in the school cafeteria animatedly reading an article on the evils of D&D. And he has this whole, like, tirade about just because um, some kids want to sit and play a fantasy game. You know, it's like a whole thing. And I was like, this is perfect. This... (laughs) And this really is such a huge story. And all the stories within it are complex and really could be their own episodes and podcast series. I feel like I've explained a lot of stuff, giving you a lot of information. And to try and wrap this up, put a bow on it, it's all challenging. When you have a situation that has such incredibly high emotional stakes, reason goes out the window. Like you said, people mm-hmm. are just not using logic at that point.
1: And that whole mob mentality kicks in too
0: mob mentality children are involved yes very emotional topic don't hurt the kids in 1994 researchers with the national center on child abuse and neglect found that investigators you know in law enforcement could not substantiate any of the roughly 12,000 accusations of group cult sexual abuse based on satanic ritual in a vacuum you hear that sentence it's like hey great news this didn't happen. 12,000 accusations. Hooray. Like this didn't happen.
1: But when you think about it,
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. But when you think about it, it's really sad and tragic ending because it means that there were 12,000 accusations against people. And those who had those accusations leveled against them had a town, had a nation who forever thought that they were pedophiles and predators who did the worst things to children. And it didn't matter that they had charges cleared or that they were released or in some cases won civil suits against the cities or states or provinces that charged them. It didn't matter. The public really never got over that initial labeling of that person. And people were wrongfully accused, imprisoned for years, lost their jobs, their children were taken from them and put in foster care in some cases. That's really horrible. Talk about abuse at that point. And then on the other side of it, You have the children who did the accusing who are also the victims. The scared public made such a big deal out of believing the children that they didn't believe the children when they emphatically and repeatedly said that nothing happened to them. And that was really sad in that CBC series was towards the end of the series. She said that she wasn't able to get the videos because all these were recorded interviews, but there were some tapes that existed and some clips and there were somewhere the little kid was like, no, nothing happened to me. Oh, but he did this, this, this. And the kid's like, no, he didn't do that. And they're just like, just these little sweet, teeny, tiny voices. Oh, it just breaks your heart. Yeah. That's just, you know, another casualty of all this. And we do know the truth of what happened, are now living with and, you know, trying to come to terms and that manipulation of them as children. Yeah. Perhaps as well with that, the guilt of accusing people, like then you feel like you're guilty for terrible things that happen to other people when that's not on you or you're living with the thought that you're a survivor of appalling things that should never have happened to anybody, but you believe happened to you because that's what the grown-ups told you happened to you. Right. Like how, how hard is that, you know? Apologies were made by some journalists who covered these stories at the time, Geraldo Rivera being a big one. But also, as much as we'd like to believe that ritual abuse scares are a thing of an older time, like the Salem Witch Trials or this satanic panic of the late 20th century, or even seeing it in the current day with conspiracy theories around the QAnon stuff, Pizzagate, there's still elements that pop up in pop culture here and there. Especially if you're aware of it, which now hopefully y'all are, you start to notice those ties and be like, oh, a little bit of that undercurrent of paranoia.
1: There's a whole bunch of like really interesting people, like the lady who told me not to buy Dove chocolate bars because it's run by a pedophile ring. I was like, what? Dude, I'm just trying to buy my ice cream right now. And she's like, <laughs> look it up. That's always the thing is look it up. And
0: then it's like, you know, baseless claims and stuff.
1: It was just weird. I was like, dude, I'm just trying to buy my ice cream.
0: I remember you saying that when I was doing the conspiracy theory story.
1: Oh, yeah. Did I? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, then there's a bunch of people that like, I don't know why I follow these people on social media, but they're so interesting. I almost can't stop watching now that they're talking about how all these celebrities and musicians and all that are opening up portals all over the world and that all this imagery oh girl you don't even know the level of crazy and i just sit and like you know on my morning throne as i do and just read all this crazy shit and i'm like dude i mean they'll talk about like how we shouldn't be listening to this or that or the other and like that the big one is lil nasta like he has so much yeah. demonic imagery that he's just a conduit for. The dark powers and everything, and you know that Satan's coming. And what was their big one the other day? The other day. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh yeah, I know you heard that right. It was something about did we have the autumnal equinox yet? Yes. Uh huh. Okay, that's what it was. People were freaking out and they were talking about how celebrities were flying out of the country and shit was happening. And they're like, you watch, it's coming. This isn't an accident. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, wow, these people actually believe this. But yeah, I mean, so very present. It has not stopped. No,
0: it hasn't. And some of the articles I use for source material talk about that and how we need to like revisit these elements again so we realize what we're doing again. Although I was young when it was at its fever pitch, like I said, it did go into the 90s. And I remember as a little kid in the mid to late 80s, Very, very early 90s. So I remember a lot of elements of the satanic panic. Not directly. I don't remember it because I wasn't quite old enough to understand the panic of it. So our mom and I belonged to a Pentecostal church in Southern Illinois. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And if anyone's familiar with certain denominations of Christianity, Pentecostal church was bordering on more of like a sort of Southern Baptist elements yeah. of fundamentalism
1: i describe it as very 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 orthodox okay because yeah. yeah. that makes it like it's very rigid to uh old rules is kind of how yeah. i describe it to people and they're like okay i'm like i'm just trying to give you an idea of like what you're working with
0: yeah they're very uh there's a certain sort of standard of what women should look like or wear shouldn't really ever cut your hair. Always wore long dresses that went down to your ankles, no jeans or pants, technically shouldn't be watching movies, things like that, like movies at all, not just any kind of movies, but just things of that nature.
1: Yes. And you all heard that right. That was, in fact, the woman who gave both of us life, particularly (laughs) me. So you can see how kind of funny and ironic (laughs) that all ended up. And so I was raised for all my early years in a
0: very... Certain religious way. I remember as a kid, it was around Halloween time, and the TV show that I was watching, it might have been like a Nickelodeon or Disney Channel, you know, some sort of kids' channel or something that played Fantasia's Night on Bald Mountain with Chernabog.
1: Oh, fucking Chernabog, dude. He is like the pinnacle. If you know nothing of art and animation and how fucking hard it is to draw hands, all they fucking did in that is draw fucking hands. And they're fucking beautiful. You need to fucking go watch it. But anyway, yes, sort of demonic. He is. He's a, technically a, a giant demon. So carry on. Well, I mean, it's scary imagery for a kid anyway. But I remember
0: watching that and being like, I'm going to tell Pastor, I'm just going to say Smith. I'm going to tell Pastor Smith how brave I was when I watched this and how I wasn't scared of the devil. That was my thought process. Yeah, but he looks like a devil, so yeah. Well, that was my my thought process. I'm not scared of this scary occult stuff. I have Jesus, and yeah. I don't. And I don't. I'm not saying this to like make fun of Christianity or anything like that. No. I mean, I, I'm just saying I was in it, and I understand where that fear happens. Right it comes from. Yeah, I remember going to his office back behind the uh pulpit, the the area it was like back by the baptism pool. I was like Pastor Smith. I want to tell you, I saw it, and I just, you know, my little four or five year old self was like, and then I wasn't scared, and I, I just said, Jesus is with me, and I, whatever it was that I said, I was, yeah. I just told like wanted to show him how much of a good Christian kid I was, yeah. As well as that same time, I think it actually might have been in that in that same sitting of TV because it was around Halloween sort of time, the Michael Jackson's Thriller, the music video yes, for yeah. Thriller. It opens with him saying something along the lines of, I don't endorse um, nor do I practice the occult in any way. And I I believe in, and that was a warning that was played at the top of the video.
1: Well, that makes a lot more sense now because I didn't even think about it in time period of where it is.
0: Yeah. And that was part of it. I just remember being told as a kid Dungeons and Dragons was bad. You know, metal music like Metallica was coming out too, like that was all bad. Anything, anything that had magic was, yeah. was bad. Even, do you know offhand when the first Harry Potter book came out?
1: Yes, 2001. No, 1997.
0: All right, still, magic was still bad. I was not able to read the Harry Potter book as everybody else was.
1: Well, and I almost wasn't around, allowed to go watch the movie, but I was like, no, I'm fucking going, Mom. You don't understand, like, five-year-old me. Five-year-old <laughs> Laurel, like... Turn a box, scary, five-year-old Katie. No, I'm fucking going to watch it. This shit slaps, mom. Get on board.
0: (laughs) Well, the funny thing is that was your lullaby, was Jim Dale's voice reading Harry Potter on tape, right? That was audiobooks. And yet I remember not being able to, because it was the school of witchcraft and wizardry. There was a very drastic shift in what kind of content we were able to consume as children. It really shifted at a very young age for you. But that was my growing up. It was based at this religious stance of magic is bad. It's evil. It opens the door to Satan. All these different messages that I was getting.
1: I also will point out the fact that I had a lot of the same struggles. I just It just didn't work as well for me because I was a kid who never really fit in, to be honest with you. I know that might come as odd but like i have always had a hard time fitting with groups of people i don't do well with it Mm -hmm. so my memories of sunday school are very very bad none of them are positive none of them are good that's fine if you love your church that's good but like that's something that really imprinted on me if god is so good and we are so loving as christians i should not be made to feel bad about Mm -hmm. myself is how i saw it this was my young three or four year old logic and i got yelled at a lot and people were very these are adults were very belittling to me and they were mean and they were not nice to me and it was never really like that i hated the religion but i hated the people associated with it Mm -hmm.
0: so it was one of those
1: things that like yeah when harry potter and stuff came out that i liked i was like no i will be involving myself in this because everything that you've involved me in sucks so i'm out so and like again it didn't exactly go like that because i was a very young child yeah i gravitated towards everything that made me feel better i.e metal music i.e everything that you're talking about which is like (laughs) so but that's why i have to laugh because i'm like boy howdy did they not know what they were in for i guess i do remember a little bit of it and didn't realize it but i was kind of like Go screw yourself because I'm going to do it anyway. That was kind of more my experience with it versus yours, if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. And I can really see how you understand it from a perspective of these are my people. They've never made me feel bad. I always felt very accepted in this community or with people that share this particular interest. And therefore, they're not the monsters you are, if you're going to point out, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yep. That's exactly how it is perceived.
0: Anyway, that's, that's a little bit of my experience, and I can definitely see how that transitioned to your perspective and the, the trickling down that happened to you with that. But I think a lot of people would well have a little bit of an association with that, especially live in more rural areas or uh, more conservative areas of the United States and Canada. No other countries had to deal with this. It's a very uniquely American really? Canadian thing, I think. Yeah. Oh. I asked Christian about it, and I was like, "Did the Satanic Panic ever make it over there?" Because I figured conservatism in government was also over there too, with Margaret Thatcher. And I've thought maybe there might be some elements of it that might have crossed over there, but uh, yeah. he's like, "No, no, I have no idea what you're talking about." I was
1: like, "Okay, I, I have no <laughs> idea what chat. you're talking about. It's solid." <laughs>
0: I think it's always been very fascinating. I've always enjoyed, them. I've always liked the stories that I've heard about it because I think it's such an interesting study in in society, interesting sociological study and psychological study. And I feel like that's probably why I did the lavender scare and mm-hmm. talked about a conspiracy theories because I think it's really interesting how, as you mentioned earlier, it's like that mob mentality mixed with a huge emotional piece and then just that insane spiral that just happens into mm-hmm. absolute paranoia and fear and how it ends up have very real repercussions for very falsified or unsubstantiated claims that aren't entirely true or again have just enough of a kernel of truth that's what gets brushed over and that was what we should have been investigating that was what we should be looking into not the the devil worship in the church of the goat or Freaking whatever Anton you know.
1: and his book sales
0: <laughs> yeah Just stir in the pot. This guy. So anyway, big story. I know, but I really wanted to share that with you all tonight because I thought if we don't get panicked about Satan on Halloween month, you know, what are we doing? And there we have it. What a wild ride. Isn't that a huge banana story? We're on Instagram at Hightailing History and on TikTok at Hightailing History Pod. If you want to visit with us the other days of the week, we would love to see you there. Please give us a follow. If you liked what you heard today, please leave a review. Let us know how you liked it. Make sure that you're subscribed. Share it with somebody else who might like us as well. You want to bring them into the smoke circle. I'm glad you joined us today. We'll be back again next week for another Halloween episode, and hopefully both of us. And until next time, folks, get money, get high, give love, and watch out for that devil out there. (laughs) Bye, everyone.